You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. The book of Jude, I'm going to read the entire book tonight. So this may be one of the few times in my life that I preach through a whole book of the Bible in one service, and I promise you we will not preach till midnight, okay? Now, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, the Bible said he was long preaching. And about midnight, a guy named Eutychus, he was more out of the church than he was in the church. You say, how do you know that? Because he fell out the window, amen. He fell asleep, fell out the window. And uh, the Apostle Paul went down and, and healed him, brought him back up in the church service. We won't be doing any of that tonight, amen. And, uh, and then Paul talked until morning, and we won't do that to you either, amen. We'll, we'll be out of here in 30 to 45 minutes. Well, it's only 6.16. We've got to go to 7 o'clock. I have never been in a one hour or less service in a church service, in a Baptist church service on Sunday night. So I can promise you we're going to go to 7 o'clock, all right? At least, all right? Let's go through the book of Jude. Let's get going here. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Now, I'm reading the, 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 this, this entire book to get the context, okay? I'm not really going to be preaching out of this part of the verses, but I want you to really pay close attention here. These are illustrations of apostasy. These are illustrations of what I'm preaching about, and this is an illustration of God's attitude towards apostasy. So he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. God's serious about this subject. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beast in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds there are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I would hate for that to be God's illustration of me. 
I would hate for that to be God's thought process of me. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. God's pretty clear what he thinks about these folks. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But I like verse 17. But ye, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there shall be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. And there you've just read a whole book of the Bible, all right? And we're going to uh, give you an overview of this book. And I want to preach on this thought tonight, apostasy in the church. Apostasy in the church. But let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and we'll get right into the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this privilege to be able to preach thy word and Lord, it's a double privilege for me because not only am I allowed to preach the word of God, but I get to come to our home church and preach behind Pastor Jet's pulpit, Lord, to preach here to these folks, God. And I pray, Lord, that thy spirit would work through me as I preach the word of God tonight. Lord, the word of God, there's power that's associated with it. Lord, just as we preach the word, there's, there's power associated with the word of God. It's alive, it's powerful. But Lord, the apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, I'm coming down to hear not the speech of those that are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word only, but in power. And Lord, certainly, without you, we can do nothing. And we need the power of the Holy Ghost as we deliver the word of God tonight. So help us, I pray. Lord, give us all ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this theme of, of, of this book, the subject of this book is apostasy. And we're going to get right into the message here. I'm going to try to take you through the book and especially a few verses uh, as thoroughly as I can in the time that I have. A simple definition of the word apostasy, a very simple definition, would be a departure from the truth. A departure from the truth. So when we say somebody is apostatizing, they are departing from the revealed truths of the word of God. That's a simple definition of apostasy. However, a more thorough definition of apostasy comes from the root word apostasia, which simply means a defiance of an established system or authority, a rebellion, an abandonment, or a breach of faith. And this word, apostasia, it was used commonly in the first century to speak of a political revolt or a defection from one country or one government to another. It was, it was apostasy. He, he has breached our government, he has, he has switched sides, okay? As we come into the New Testament, and we come really to the end of the New Testament, because notice Jude is couched right there at the very end, 
right before the last book of your Bible, Jude was moved by the Holy Spirit as he saw rank apostasy slipping into the church. He saw it. So much was he moved that he changed the theme of his epistle. His epistle was going to be an essay on the common salvation. And I'd love to stand here tonight and preach to you about the common salvation. I mean, there's a, man, there's a great message to be preached there. But instead of giving an essay on the common salvation, he gave an expose of apostasy. And that's what this entire book becomes. It becomes a warning of where not to go, a warning of who not to follow, a warning of who not to be associated with as a church because apostasy is real and apostasy was rank in his day 2,000 years ago. Apostasy then and apostasy now is nothing new. The fall of mankind in the garden. I mean, God creates man, right? Man sins against God. Man gets dismissed out of the garden. And, and it was followed rather quickly by apostasy. So much departing, so much defecting from the truth of God that God, listen closely, had to destroy the entire world with a flood. That's God's answer to apostasy. And that's what we see all over the book of Jude. God has one answer for apostasy. It's judgment. When you depart from the truth of God's word, you put yourself into a place where you are now an enemy of God and there's only one way for God to deal with those who have received truth and departed from truth. And that is judgment. Cain, he defected from the faith that was passed to him by his father and his mother and he led the majority of the human race in what Jude calls right here the way of Cain. Apostasy always has that one end of judgment, and God judged the way of Cain with Noah's flood. After the flood, it didn't take long for apostasy to set in again, this time with a man named Nimrod and the world at the Tower of Babel. And again, they're disobeying God, and God has to bring judgment upon civilization. And he did. When man's language was confused by God, that was God's judgment on their apostasy, then, then they emigrated out of Babel and out of that area and they ended up many of them in Canaan land and Canaan's land apostatized so quickly that in just a matter of a few hundred years it became a harlotry prostitution became a religious ritual to be able to enter into the worship of a pagan deity in Canaan we're in the first 20 chapters of the Bible still telling you how fast apostasy works how quick it works how bad it gets quickly in Genesis 19, God, before Abraham ever uh, is, you know, before, before Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, and they have the 12 tribes, and 430 years later, they move into Israel, and, and, and Israel takes Canaan's land. God had to judge Canaan's land. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? That's what I'm talking about. They apostatized very quickly, and it got so bad that in order to worship a pagan deity, you had to enter into the temple with a temple prostitute to worship their God, and, and, and sodomy became an accepted and alternative lifestyle. That is the result of apostasy. That is the result of walking away, departing from the truth of God's word. And judgment always follows apostasy. And there was a holocaust in Canaan's land. There was. And God brought it. God burned Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. That's what Bible, the Bible said because they gave themselves over to strange flesh. Well, God used Abraham to birth and to build the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. 
And as we follow through the history of the Old Testament and into the New Testament over and again, Israel was given the law of God, and what would they do over and again? Every generation, they'd apostatize. They would walk away from the truths that God had given them in his word. Read the book of Judges. Over and over, it's rebellion against God. It's apostasy from God. And, 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 and apostasy ends in ruin. And, and ruin causes the people to repent. And repentance brings revival. And then here comes the apostasy again. It's, it's a cycle that's repeated over and over. And it got so wicked. It got so wicked in the kingdom of Israel that Solomon, who's the wisest man who ever lived, also has the distinction of being the greatest fool who ever lived because to whom much is given, much is required. And Solomon, by the end of his life, there's three things that God told a king in Israel not to do. They could not multiply horses from Egypt. They could not multiply wives and they could not multiply gold. Solomon did all three. He multiplied the gold. It didn't seem so bad. Just a small departure from just one command from God. And then he went after the horses. That's not that bad. How's that affecting me? That's just one departure, one deviation, one departure from the truth of God's word. Then he multiplied wives, and his wives stole his heart away from God. And by the end of Solomon's life, Solomon literally had turned the nation of Israel and Jerusalem into a pagan city. Read your Bible. It was pagan. All those wives, man, I'm going to tell you all something right now. One wife, boy, that's enough for me to keep up with. Amen. Can you imagine a thousand Brother Watson, can you imagine a thousand wives? That's three birthdays and three anniversaries every day of your life. Oh my goodness, man, how do you keep up with that? Man, and then say happy birthday, and what if it's the wrong one? Amen. Slap. That's, that's, Mary's not my name, Sarah's my name. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But by the end of his life, his, 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 his wives had turned his heart away from God, and he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other with idols, because these pagan women had pagan gods they worshipped and he introduced all that to Israel and it's so bad that God again has to judge his own nation and that's when the nation of Israel divided that's the result of apostasy apostasy I'm just I'm trying to establish the fact tonight that apostasy has always been around apostasy is here and until Jesus comes and sets up the millennial kingdom and uh, the apostasy is going to be around it's just it's, it's just here it's a fact that we have to deal with and we have to be concerned over eventually their apostasy Israel's apostasy became so great that they rejected listen they rejected the ministry of God the father brother Chad they by murdering the prophets I mean all those prophets those 17 prophets and there's more than that but just the books in your Bible we read Isaiah Jeremiah Lamentations Ezekiel Daniel say go through all the prophets they were all murdered. Jesus, Jesus looked and said, and, and Stephen, when he was preaching, looked and said, which of the prophets hath not your fathers killed? They rejected the ministry. This is the nation that God saved. This is the nation that God redeemed. This is the nation that God brought out for his own. And they've rebelled against God. And they've apostatized from God. And, and, and it got so bad that they rejected the ministry of God the Father by killing the prophets. And then God sent his son to the world. And he comes and lives with them for 33 years. And he never sins one time. And they rejected the ministry of God the Son. And they put him on a cross. That's where apostasy goes. There's no stopping point. When you depart from the truth eventually there's a total denial of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and they denied him and they hung him on the cross and then in the book of Acts Stephen stands up and he's filled with the Holy Ghost that's the third part of the Godhead and as he was filled with the Holy Ghost they got mad at him the nation of Israel they gnashed on him with their teeth and they stoned him to death and they rejected the ministry of God the Holy Ghost Full apostasy, rejected the Godhead, because that's where apostasy leads. It always leads to a denial of God. 
And so God sets Israel on the shelf for a period of time, and God creates a brand new thing in the earth, a mystery in the Old Testament. But now we know what that mystery is. It's called the New Testament church. And now the church has been started. It's neither Jew nor Gentile. That middle wall of partition has been broken down. You come in the book of Acts, man, people are getting saved by God's grace. They're getting baptized, man. It's exciting days in the church. Things are going wonderful. But 25 or 30 years goes by, 20 or 25 years goes by, and Jude writes a book. He said, I wanted to write of the common salvation. Man, it's a wonderful subject. Man, we're common sinners. We're going to a common destiny, but there's a common Savior. His name's Christ, and you can have a common salvation. But I couldn't write on it. Why? It was needful for me to write and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered. Apostasy has now come into the church. It was bad enough out in the pagan world. It was worse in the children of Israel. And Jude said there can be no tolerance for it. There can be no tolerance in a New Testament church. We've got to deal with apostasy. We've got to fight against apostasy. So, quoting from John Phillips, he says, The book of Jude is a thunderbolt hurled from on high. Its echoes reverberate down through the centuries. They sound the alarm for us in this Laodicean age of the church, an age that's marked by lukewarmness in the church pew by rank apostasy in the seminary, and by liberalism in the pulpit itself. Jude is the man, and Jude is the book for our apostate age. His trumpet sounds the imminent coming of Christ. His voice is the last to speak to us in our Bible before the apocalypse takes place. I believe, I believe this is the message for the church in this hour, the book of Jude. Amen. So let's talk about apostasy here real quickly. Preach. I'll do a little more teaching probably than preaching this evening. But let's talk about apostasy. Verse number three. Let's jump right into it. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Notice verse number four. For there are certain men crept in unawares. Let's talk just for a moment about the subtlety of apostasy. Apostasy is subtle. Apostasy, the word, the word crept, there are certain men crept in. They didn't walk in with their suits on and say, hey, we're here to deny Bible doctrine. And we want to take Eastside Baptist Church and Falls International Baptist Church to a place where they deny Bible doctrine. They don't walk in like that. They creep in. They creep in. The word crept, it literally means to slip in sideways, to come in stealthily, to sneak in. And what Jude is telling us is that, that, that apostasy begins uh, in a very covert, stealthy manner. Is not this how the serpent approached Eve with the te- very first temptation to apostasy? He slithers on up because he's a serpent, right? Satan didn't come out there with a red pitchfork, amen, and a, a big long tail, amen, and say, I am the devil, and I'm here to turn you away from God. He just came, just slipped right on in. stealthily, quietly. If, if apostasy came in to any church in an overt manner, in a very forward manner, it would never gain an audience. And its teachers would never gain a following. They have to slip in. They have to creep in. That's how they have to work. A.W. Tozer said, so skilled is error at imitating truth that the two are constantly being mistaken for each other. It takes a sharp eye these days to know which brother is Cain and which brother is Abel. It's a pretty good statement if you chew on that for a while. Apostasy normally begins by simply putting a question mark where God put a period. That's how apostasy always begins. 
God said, in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's a statement. But Satan sneaks on in beside her and said, yea, hath God said, and I'm just going to tell you this, he's got grandchildren. Where there is a church, eventually there will be an apostate in that church. You mark it down. Because that's Satan's goal. His goal is to infiltrate churches. His goal is to destroy church. Satan hates the church. Christ shed his blood for it. Satan hurt. You say, well, it can't be that bad. Can I tell you that Paul started the church at Ephesus, and when he was leaving Ephesus, Paul said, out of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after. I mean, Paul was warning them. It's going to come. Be on the lookout. Be alert. Be aware. It's coming down the pike. You mark it down. Hey, questions like this. Whenever, and I told our people, Falls International, I said, Man, you hold me to account. You hold me to the word of God. Man, I'm not above the word of God. If I put a question mark as your pastor where God puts a period, you need to be putting a question mark on me as your pastor. Amen. Does God really exist? Does God really exist? Man, there's preachers that, that, that talk that kind of stuff. There's teachers and Bible college professors that, that float those kind of questions. Does God really exist? Question mark. You know, in the beginning, God you mark it down. In the beginning, God. Amen. God exists. Well, did God really preserve his word perfectly? I mean, really, does God have the ability to be able to make sure that we have his word unaltered, that we have his word without blemish? Now, you and I know the answer to that question, Brother Watson. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. He's God. Amen. If he can cause the sun to rise every day and he can cause the sun to set every day on time, I think he has the power to preserve his word. Amen. But people come along and say, well, you know, the, you know, the word of God is not perfect and there could be, I mean, do you think, I mean, uh, men wrote it. I mean, could there, hey, when someone starts talking like that, it's time to turn YouTube off, Facebook, whatever you're watching them on, amen. When someone in Sunday school starts teaching that kind of stuff, it's time to go to the preacher and say, hey, hey, they're questioning the word of God, apostasy. That's exactly how Satan introduced apostasy. Yeah, yeah, God said. He puts a question mark where God puts a period. Does a God of love I've heard, preacher, I've heard preachers make this statement. How could a God of love, how could a loving God really send people to hell? That's a question mark. Can I tell you that, that a new Christian may have a question like that and we teach them the word of God. But when a man standing behind the pulpit or behind a Sunday school lectern starts making those kind of questions, he's not making questions. He's trying to get you to doubt and deny the word of God. Yes, the answer is God does send people to hell. They make the choice, but God will make sure they get there. He will honor their choice. God will say, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Oh, you, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, man, I've heard this stuff. Is there really a burning hell? I mean, really, Brother Sean, is there really a place beneath our feet that's on fire? Or is that just a metaphor? The story in Luke 16, can that really be true? If God put it in his word, friend, it's true. And I'm going to tell you, if I didn't believe there was a burning hell, and if I didn't believe there was an awesome heaven, I wouldn't spend my life doing what I'm doing. You mark that down. I'm spending my life trying to keep people out of that hell, amen, and getting them into heaven by introducing them to the gospel of the grace of God. But this is how apostasy works. Does the literal, does the literal, the literal blood of Christ, man, in Bible college, Brother Chad, in an independent, fundamental Baptist Bible college, a man came into our class and said that the literal blood of Christ is not what takes away sin. It's the death of Christ. Can I tell you, that Bible is a bloody book from one end to the other, and it culminates in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you better believe it's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes our sins away. Amen. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Amen. Even the forgiveness of sins without the bloodshed of Christ. Man, we couldn't be saved. But these are where liberals, modernists, and apostates, 
They place question marks, apostasy, this is how it works. We could give a whole lot of other questions, but we'll keep moving. Apostasy works quietly and privately, one person talking with another. Sometimes it's someone slipping into church, man, I'm not here, I don't know who's here, so this isn't a statement, Pastor Jet didn't give me a memo and say, now this guy goes to church, make sure you preach this, all right? And okay, I don't have any memos, okay? But I'm going to tell you, in, in the churches that I've planted, and seen established, I can tell you how apostasy normally starts. Somebody slips into membership on a profession of salvation and they begin to work their way slowly towards leadership. They do. And they start inviting people over to the house for meals. And they start having private Bible studies, amen. And they start criticizing what the pastor's preaching and what the Sunday school teacher's teaching and what the church's statement of faith is over time with just little questions, little statements. Can I tell you, be alert, be aware. Be alert. You better believe Satan has a target on this church and he doesn't play fair. It doesn't matter to him if he destroys this church from the outside or if it destroys it from the inside. He just wants to destroy it. Amen. And it's our responsibility to make sure that he never gets a foothold in our, don't you, hey, when I go back to Africa, don't y'all let Satan get a foothold in this church. Amen. Or I'll come back and haunt every one of you. Amen. You can't do that. All right, man. It happens, man. Missionaries go off to the field, foreign field, and come home four years later, and it's a whole different church than what they left because of apostasy. It works quickly. Oh, listen. 2 Peter 2.1 said, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. This is Peter talking now. Who shall privily, there it is quietly again, secretly, bring in damnable heresies. Now, a heresy is, is, is obviously a denial of truth, but a damnable heresy, that's a denial of truth that you go to hell over. Now you say, well, I'm saved, I can't go to hell. I'm not talking about you right now. I'm talking about the apostates that teach it. Amen. They bring in damnable heresies, all right? We can get involved in apostasy. In other words, we can, we can start to depart from the truth in areas. But we that are saved can never be apostate. An apostate is a man who's not saved. It's a man who's fully and finally rejected God. And he has a motive. And his motive is to infiltrate the church, to twist the grace of God into something that's not the grace of God, to deny the Lord Jesus Christ, and to take that church and make shipwreck of it. Let's, let's move on. I've got to move. I've got to move. I've got to move. I've got 19 minutes. All right? The certainty of apostasy. We've looked at the subtlety of apostasy, the certainty of apostasy. Uh, of, of apostasy. It's a sure thing. It's gonna, sooner or later, it's going to happen in every church. It is. You say, man, that's, that's a message of doom and gloom. No, that's a message to warn you, to be on the lookout. Amen. Man, the Bible said right there in our text, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ever since Satan defected on God, apostatized on God himself, he's always known there'll be men who will do his bidding. I'm not being smart and I'm not being ugly, but there's churches all over this state, all over this city, all over our country this morning where men stood up behind a pulpit. Apostates love the cover of a church. They love the cover of a suit and tie. They love the cover of a Baptist pulpit. Amen. And they'll begin teaching and promoting their false doctrine. And we've got to be on the lookout. We've got to be an aware church. We don't need to be in a woke church like everybody's talking about woke, but we do need to be an aware church. Amen. Oh, listen. 2 Peter 2, 1 again, there shall be false teachers among you. These false teachers didn't take God by surprise. That's why it says who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. As long as there's been a, a devil, there, there, as long as there's been people, there, there are always, there's a remnant that'll get saved and serve God. And there's a remnant that they're going to, they're just going to be apostate, man. They're going to, they're going to do everything they can to do the bidding of Satan. Uh, and, and there's many more verses on that, but I really want to move on. Uh, I mean, I'm skipping about 10 minutes worth of stuff. All right. For your sake and for mine. All right. Let's move on. The sedition of apostasy. The sedition of apostasy. The word sedition, and I'm going to come to the verse in just a moment, but the word sedition, it, it literally means an incitement of discontent or rebellion against a government. 
And then there's another definition. Any action, especially in speech or writing, promoting such discontent or rebellion. This is exactly what we see in Jude when the Bible said these men crept in, they were before vote ordained of this condemnation. Then God says, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That's sedition. They're taking the grace of God, which saves a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. They're taking the grace of God that then teaches that man, woman, boy or girl. And I, I want to just stop right there because we need to explain this. I need to explain what we mean. The Bible said in Titus chapter number 2, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So we learn, brother, uh, brother Matt, we learn, I ain't got my glasses on, but I still got you, all right. We learn that grace saves, it brings salvation. Thank God, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But we have a generation who is misusing and abusing the grace of God. The grace of God was never meant to be a white glove to cover your dirty hands with no intention of repenting of your sin. Well, I'm going to come to church because there's grace. We got a new grace, a woke grace. And I can go out and I can drink and I can run. I can chew. I can gamble. I can, I can cheat. I can, all the, I can be angry. I can be jealous. I mean, I can just exhibit all the works of the flesh. But I'm under grace, brother. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is a restraint from sin. Grace saved us not to sin. Grace saved us from sin. Amen. Grace doesn't save you from sin and say, okay, now go back in that sin and have a good time. No, no, no. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's pretty clear. God's pretty tight on that. God, don't you dare have the attitude, well, I'm saved, so I go out and cheat. I'm saved, so I go live in adultery. I'm saved, so I can have my social drink. I'm saved, so I go out here and lose my temper, use my curse words. I'm saved, so I can skip out on church Sunday morning, Sunday. I kind of just go what I want to. And God's got it covered because he's a God of grace. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. The word grace, the grace of God that brings salvation at the period of all men, it brings salvation. But then what happens? Teaching us. That denying ungodliness, denying means to turn away from. To turn away from. Denying ungodliness, that is a restraint. To, to, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, brother Chad, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. You mean God wants to change my life and conform me to the image of his son, and when people see me, they see Jesus Christ? Yes, hallelujah, that's exactly what God wants. That's grace. Great, we, I'm telling you, apostates, and I'm, I'm telling you to the, I'm, I'm, I, I, man, I know, man, we got a good home church. I love Eastside. I love Pastor Jet. If I thought for a second grace was being abused here, I'd talk to Pastor Jet just like I'd expect him to talk to me if he thought I was abusing grace over there. Amen. But can I tell you, man, we're in a world where Facebook, social media, YouTube, and whatever else is out, I can't even keep up with those ones. Amen. Whatever else is out there. Man, you can watch any preacher at any time say anything, and it sounds good. You better be listening to what they're saying. And can I just tell you this? You better listen to what they're not saying too. You better listen to what they're saying and what they're not saying because what they're not saying is a lot of times where they get you. Amen. Things I don't preach on. If I went to church for a year and a half, amen, the preacher never preached on the blood of Christ, I'd question whether he believed the blood of Christ. If I went to church for a year and a half and the preacher never preached a message on hell, I'd say, does he believe in hell? Does our church believe in hell? Man, you listen for what a man's teaching, you listen for what he's not preaching. Amen. That'll kind of identify what he is. But these folks, they turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. The word turning, it literally means the act of reversing position. 
here I am, and I get all mixed up when I get in the church here, okay? So I have no idea right now. In my church, I know what direction I'm facing, but I, what direction am I facing? Somebody that's, thank you, I'm facing north. I hope you're right, all right? Here I am facing north, because I feel like I'm facing south. I get mixed up in this building. All right, I'm going to turn my position. I've reversed my position. Now I'm facing, if, if the brother's right, I'm facing south now. I have reversed my position. That's what the word turning means. The, the, the root word that, that, that for, for where we get our word turning, it literally means to exchange one thing for another, one position for another position. They're taking the grace of God, which is designed to save from sin, which is designed to restrain us then from going out living in sin, and they're turning it into a cloak of lasciviousness. Lasciviousness, it means looseness. It means lustfulness. It means wantonness. And, 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 and the word wantonness, you say, well, I don't know what that word means. Wantonness gives the idea of a lack of restraint, a removal of restraint. Grace restrains. Wantonness takes those restraints. And people say, well, I'm free in Christ. We are free in Christ. We're free from sin, not free to sin. We don't keep the law to be saved we're free from the bondage of trying to keep the law to be saved. But friend, just because you're saved doesn't mean that you can go kill your neighbor. Well, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Well, thou shalt not kill still applies. Don't come to my house. You can't, you can, well, I'm saved by grace. I can take God's name in vain. I can blaspheme the name of God. No, you can't. You're saved by grace. False teachers turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. Instead of it being a restraint from sin, something that saved us from sin, Something that teaches us to look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we have that hope on the inside of us, it makes us want to keep pure because he's coming again. They say, oh, no, 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 no. Man, you're saved by grace. You go out and indulge in whatever. If it feels good, brother, just do it. Wrong answer. That's apostasy. And it doesn't matter to me if it's the nursery teacher, if it's the K-5, if it's the Sunday school teacher, if it's the preacher, if it's the evangelist or missionary. When someone starts taking liberties where God doesn't give liberties, and someone says the grace of God can be a cloak of lasciviousness, you better be careful. You better be careful. That's not the God of the Bible, and that's not the grace that God offers. I want you to notice the wording here. I want you to notice the word lasciviousness. Well, I've already given you that definition. All right, so I'm going to move on. Um, these apostate teachers would teach us to embrace ungodliness and worldly lust in the name of grace. They would remove the restraints of grace and replace it with a religion of lasciviousness. They would teach us to misuse the grace of God as a white glove to cover a dirty hand with no intention of ever washing that hand. That is an abuse of God's grace. That is a misuse of God's grace. That is taking advantage of God's grace. That is apostasy, and God hates it. There's a reason, Revelation 3, when God speaks of the church of our day, the Laodicean church, there's a reason God said, I will spew them out of my mouth. That's God talking. That's not Brother Rutman talking. That's not Pastor Jet talking. That's God saying to his church, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. There's apostasy. I'll spew you. That's a, that, that's a dignified way of saying I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I don't want God to ever say that about Pastor Rutman. I don't want God to ever say that about Esau Baptist Church. I'll spew you out of, no, 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 no. Man, we want God's commendation. We don't want to get spewed out of his mouth. Oh, listen. Not only do they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, but then notice the conjunction. And, because apostasy, let me take a drink, guys, hold on. Apostasy doesn't have a stopping point. It's not like, it's not like you can 
you can go so far, Carlos. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, this is as far as I'm going. That's my stop. I'm going to apostatize. I'm going to depart from truth this far. Here's, here's, here's the relationship I have with God. Here's the rules that come with any relationship. Amen. There's rules with the relationship with God and grace. And, and, but I'm going to step beyond the boundary of those rules. My parents say it's wrong. My pastor says it's wrong. And they're teaching me from the word of God. The word of God says it's wrong. But I don't care. I'm going to step out. You'll never stop with one step. There'll be another step. And there'll be another step. And there'll be another step. And that last step will end normally in the judgment of God. Men that depart from the truth. Here's what Proverbs said. I'm not saying that a person that begins to apostatize, a, a, a backsider cannot get right with God. If you're hearing that, you tonight. Get right with God tonight. Amen. But I'm saying Proverbs said, the man that walketh out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. And normally the story goes that when a man departs from the faith, when he departs from the truth that was preached to him, when he departs from his parental and pastoral and the word of God teachings, amen, and goes that way, normally they don't come back. It doesn't have a stopping point. It all starts with just questioning. Is this really right? Are my parents really right? Is my pastor really right? Man, is that Bible principle? I mean, did God really mean that? And then it goes to, a questioning to, no, he didn't really mean that. You shall not surely die. You shall not surely die. God's wrong. Your parents are wrong. Your pastor's wrong. The Bible's wrong. Take another step and another step and another step. And next thing you know, you have, you have men that were noted Christian authors in the last year that are standing up and saying, we don't even believe in God anymore. That's the full blown apostasy. Oh, listen. And in redefining, I want you to listen to this. In redefining the grace of God, apostates actually reject the God of grace. That's what this verse is teaching us. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and, they go hand in hand, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. When you deny the grace of God, when you redefine the grace of God, you're rejecting the God of grace when you, when you question the word of God, you're questioning the God who wrote the word. When you depart from the word of God, you are departing from the God of the word. You can't cut it any other way. You say, well, God, he still loves me. Friend, the question's never how much God loves us. Of course he loves us. He loves us unconditionally. That's not the question here. The question is how much do we love him? He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to live by the book. Amen. We know God loves us. They say, well, they're at grace. God loves you. You can, go to, you can do whatever you want. No, no, you can't, friend. You do whatever you want. God still loves you, but you don't love God. Apostasy, apostasy. It's a dangerous thing. Now, let me get to my main point. I've got about six minutes, and that's my own time limit. Pastor Jet didn't say, brother, I'm going to be done at 7 o'clock. All right? I'd normally go to 7.15 or 7.30, but I, want, I really want to wrap this up. The struggle against apostasy if you back up there one verse, he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, notice these next words, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend. You say, what's that mean, earnestly contend? The word earnestly means warmly, zealously, eagerly, with real desire. Man, I'm not up here saying, I hate I have to preach this tonight, amen. Man, I kind of enjoy preaching this, Amen. God, hey, listen, it's criminal. John Phillips said when, they, when people began to attack the doctrine of God's word, it's criminal to sit on the sidelines and just let them go. Amen. Can't do that. Look, contend. The word contend, it means to strive, to use earnest efforts to obtain or to defend and preserve. 
man, we've got to defend and preserve this book. Amen. You say, well, God's doing it. I know God's doing it, but I want to be on his side. Amen. And I want to do it too. I'm, I'm standing in defense of the gospel. I'm standing in defense of the grace of God. Now, when you put those words together, it gives the idea of an agonizing struggle. An agonizing struggle. The closest I think we get to this in the Bible, and you might be a Bible student and, 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 can, and, and can come up with a better example, but the closest I see is when Jesus Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22, and the Bible said, in being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. There was a spiritual war that was going on in the garden that night. And all the forces of hell were marshaled up against the Son of God. I believe to keep him from going to the cross. I believe that. And he prayed. And he watched and he prayed and he struggled and he agonized. The Bible said he was so amazed. The Bible said he began to be in agony and he prayed more earnestly. There's a struggle. You can't sit on the sidelines and watch your family go to pot while they depart from the truth of God's word without ever saying a word, silence is not always golden. We've got to stand. Hey, grandparents, stand for truth when your grandchildren start questioning truth. Parents, stand for the principles of God's word when someone else is teaching them to go away from the principles of God's word. Stand for the truths of God's word. Hey, don't stand in a proud spirit. Don't stand in an arrogant spirit. But just simply say, this is what the Bible says, and we've got to stand with the Bible. Amen. We've got to struggle, contend, Man, if it ever comes to Eastside, and I hope it never does. But the fact is, it will. I mean, we're no better than the church at Ephesus. We're no better than the church that Peter's writing to. We're no better than the folks Jude's writing to. They were there. They were creeping in. Jude saw how fast things were moving, and it alarmed him, and he said, I've got to write a book in the Bible. Man, it's interesting. This book is right before the apocalypse. I mean, that's, there's some significance. This is what we're dealing with. There's a falling away before there's a calling away. We're living in the falling away that just precedes the rapture of the church. The falling away on one hand, it fires me up, brother. On another hand, it Fires me up, brother. <laughs> We're going to heaven pretty soon. Amen. I believe that. Oh, listen. So, so let me just say this. In my remaining three minutes, Jude, come to, the end of the, come to the end of the chapter, the end of the book. How do we avoid apostasy? How do we, how do we earnestly contend? I mean, do we jump up with a sword, brother Matt, and say, or get our gun out? Amen. And say, We're going to stand against apostasy. No. Well, we get a deacon in here and he starts teaching something contrary to God's word, we're going to meet him out behind the church one night. No. Well, that Sunday school teacher, you ain't going to believe what they taught. We'll just have a meeting with them. Amen. Come on, guys. Get your gloves on. We're going to go. To no, that's not how we deal with apostasy. Earnestly contend for the faith. How do we do it? He gives us the recipe. God's recipe to avoid apostasy. God's recipe to how to earnestly contend for at, at, at the end of the book here. He said, but ye beloved. Look at here. Four things. I'm going to wrap this up quick. Four things. But ye beloved. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. The best way to never depart from the truth is to never depart from the truth. Read it. This book is truth. John 17, thy word is truth. If you don't ever want to apostatize from the truth, then don't ever walk away from the truth. Make this book your best friend. Read this book. Get to know the book that God wrote, and in so doing, you'll get to know the God of the book. And the more you know him, the less you'll want to walk away from him. And the more you know the realness of this book, the less you'll be tempted when someone comes along with sleight of hand and cunning craftiness and tries to change the words of this book or to change the doctrines of this book. Man, just stay with it. Building up. Listen, apostates, you know what they like to do? Tear down. They question the landmarks of the faith. 
They question the doctrines of God's word. They question the fences. They question all the, all the parameters, the lines that follow us in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. They question, should those lines be there? And they call, uh, they're tearing down. I, we're not into tearing down walls. We're into building walls. Amen. And I'm not pushing for a Republican right now. Amen. I'm just saying we're into building walls. Biblical walls, biblical boundaries that we don't cross. Boundaries that God put in place for our safety. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. I've got a bunch of notes, but I can't be done in a minute if, if I read my notes, all right? Praying in the Holy Ghost. What's that mean, praying in the Holy Ghost? Well, let me ask you a question. Did you get saved by God's grace? And when you got saved, did you get indwelt with the Holy Ghost of God? He's in you, right? Can you grieve the Spirit of God? You sure can. Can we quench the Spirit of God? We sure can. If I have grieved and quenched the Spirit of God, and He is the vehicle that takes... According to the word of God, the spirit of God is the vehicle that carries our prayers to the Father. Amen. We pray through the spirit of the Son to the Father. And I've grieved him and I've quenched him. I'm going to tell you something. My prayer life ain't going very far. God said, pray in the Holy Ghost. Can I just say, stay right with God? Just stay right with Hey, listen, don't depart from this book and don't grieve the spirit of God. Learn how to pray. And when I say learn how to pray, the answer to apostasy is in the word of God and it's in prayer. Uh, the word of God is God talking with us, brother. Prayer is us talking to God. That's two-way communication. You, if you don't ever, hey, if you don't want your wife to leave you, have a two-way communication, amen. She don't want you to leave her, have two-way communication. Learn Because without communication, relationships fail. And without communication, people walk away from God. Learn how to talk with God. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I'm his own. Learn how to pray. Man, learn how to pray. Not, and I'm going to tell you something. With rank apostasy setting in all around us and Bible doctrines being ignored and the grace of God being redefined, man, we need some old-fashioned prayer meetings. Amen. When we get on our knees and pray before God, and, and I, we'll accomplish more on our knees praying about apostasy than we will arguing on Facebook with somebody. Amen. Can I get a witness? You know it's true. You'll accomplish more in the power of the Spirit than you'll the power of the Spirit because we're praying in the Spirit because you're right with the Spirit than you'll ever accomplish in the power of your flesh behind a typewriter or a typing board or whatever you call those things, keypads, amen. Keyboards, I'll get it right. All right, typewriters, I'm going way back right there. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God. I don't have time to preach it. Go study it, keep your, you say, what does that mean, keep yourselves in the love of God? Because we're already kept in the love of God. We're already eternally secure. But Jesus said in the book of John that to abide in Christ is to continue in the love of God. Learn how to abide in Christ. Continue in the love of God. Guard your relationship with God. Keep yourself. In other words, listen, God has a responsibility. He's never going to lose you. But hey, you have a responsibility. Don't lose him. Stay. I spend time with him. Read, pray, keep yourself in the love of God. Man, there's so much more that could be said there about abiding in Christ and the fruitfulness that comes from all. It's kind of hard to be a fruitful Christian when you're walking away from the truth of God's words. Amen. And then looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I had time to go through all this, but can I tell you, Brother Chad, I used to preach, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, I used to preach that soul winning because the next two verses, the next two verses, some having compassion, making a difference, and others saved with fear, but I don't believe that's what that verse is talking about. I believe when he said, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, I believe that is a direct instruction to the child of God that wants to avoid apostasy. You stay faithful to the book, keep your prayer life right, stay right with God, keep yourself in the love of God, abide in my word, continue in my love. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Amen. Keep your eyes on the sky. We're looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I got mercy when I got saved. But brother, because I, I got saved from the, the, the penalty of sin. But can I tell you, when he comes back, and it might be tonight, brother, 
I can't prove it is, and you can't prove it ain't. Amen. But he might come tonight. If I'm looking for the mercy of my Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, I believe I'm looking for the second coming. Amen. And can I tell you, the mercy that saved me back in November of 1991, that saved me from the penalty of sin, but this next mercy that's coming when he comes again, getting us out of this apostate mess that we're in in this world below, that's going to be mercy that saves me from the very presence of sin. Hallelujah. And what a day that's going to be. Never to be tempted to depart from God. Never to be tempted to depart from the faith of God's word. And I love the way he wraps it up. There's so much more. I have skipped all kinds of stuff, pages of stuff, but I wanted to be done. But listen, he, I love the way he finishes the book. Just, 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 just get your Bible out and just read it with me. We're done and we're going to pray. Jude verse 20, because I love the way he finishes. He, Jude, he, he, he says, man, you've got to earnestly contend. You've got to struggle against this. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to know what the Bible says. You've got to be faithful to church. You've got to be listening to the preacher as he preaches the word. The antidote to apostasy is to get under a sound preacher that preaches the word of God. Amen. And pray. And pray when you see people start departing from the truth. Pray for them when you see churches begin to shift positions. Pray for them when you see pastors exchanging positions. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Man, you stay right with God. You guard your house. You guard your Man, you you be looking for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But when everything's said and done, when everything's said and done, I love this, now unto him. We have a responsibility to do these things he just said, to avoid apostasy, now unto him. But at the end, Brother Matt, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. I don't want to apostatize. He'll keep me from it, Brother Chad. Amen. Now unto him that's able. He's well able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless. That's where I want to be at the judgment seat, faultless, before his throne with exceeding glory, to the only wise God, our Savior. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and ever. Amen. Jude started saying, I'm troubled. I wanted to write of salvation. Man, the apostasy is so great. But he ends in the word of God and in prayer, telling people to look for the second coming, and he's encouraged in his spirit. And he says, man, he's coming soon, and unto him that's able to keep you from falling. Hey, listen, don't give audience to an apostate. Just don't go that way. Judge everything every teacher or preacher says by the word of God. If it, if it lines up with the word of God, stay with it. Fight for it. Contend for it. But if it doesn't come within the confines of Scripture, it's not for me. Sorry. Got no time for that. Amen. We're Bible believers. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.